0: Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where every week we discuss the latest issues surrounding the complicated world of personal finance. Each week, join Walter Storholt and certified financial planner Dan Caprill as they help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. And for more information on today's topic, visit matsonandcaprill.com. It's time for another Solving the
1: Financial Puzzle podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Dan Capril, serving you in Cincinnati and all the surrounding areas. Dan has offices in Cincy, Beaver Creek, Northern Kentucky as well. Find us online at quizdan.com and be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, so you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, get alerts every time a new one gets posted each week. We've got a couple of more good questions to cover on today's podcast as we dig into the mailbag once again. A great question here from Hans in Villa Hills. You don't see many Hanses out there these days.
2: Yes, but you know, Cincinnati, we are a German town, yep. so there's quite a few of those. You see it more in the last names, um, very long <laughs> last names, but... I like a good
1: Hans now and then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hans has a good question. Uh, I hate having money in the bank because it's not earning enough interest every month to even buy me a cheeseburger from the value menu. <laughs> that's a good way to put it, I suppose. <laughs> you shouldn't be buying those anyway, Hans. Yeah, that's you know. right. Yeah. Uh, for the money that I've earmarked for my emergency fund, is there something better I can do with it? So a better place to put money that we need that quick access to, Dan, is yeah, it, does it quick. exist?
2: Well... Everything's got pros and cons. Everything's got trade-offs, Hans. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the bank. Yeah, you're right, they don't pay much. But they never pay negative, at least not presently. I think in Japan they're actually pay, <laughs> paying negatively. But they don't, they're not, you know, they, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna show up and find out that you had less money than you had before. Everything else that you do, you're gonna have some risk, or you're going to have some delays in liquidity. So, for example, you could certainly put your reserves in a short-term government bond fund. You could do that, no problem. The interest is guaranteed by the government, so there's no default risk. However, if interest rates go up, for a brief moment at least, that bond fund's going to drop in value. Because new bonds are going to be issued at higher rates than the old bonds that your fund has. So they're not worth as much. I know it sounds complicated, but the point here is that only cash or money in the jar assures you a non-negative return at any point in time. Everything else is potentially vulnerable. So the question here to me, Hans, isn't so much the bank or not the bank. I mean, there are some internet banks out there that will pay you more. In fact, I, I work with one that pays 1%, which I know sounds measly, but in today's world, it works. You know, I mean, that's that's a high number in today's world. Um, internet banks or FDIC insure, they just don't have bricks and mortar. Since they don't have bricks and mortar, they can pay you higher interest. I mean, that's just how they work. And if you go online, you can see a number of them that are out there. Just just make sure you it says it's FDIC. If you're not sure which one, Hans, you can give me a call. I don't like to let stuff out like this just out on the podcast, but uh, you can call me 513-563-PLAN and I'll be happy to give you some insights on that. But I think the real issue here is how much money do you have sitting in that emergency reserve? Is it one month of living expenses? Is it six months? Is it five years? Look, if it's five years or two years, I mean, if you looked at what you spend per month, if it would take several years for you to deplete that emergency fund if you had no other sources of income, um, then you have way too much sitting in there. Three to six months of living expenses should be adequate. Go at six. Some people say three to six, well, which is it? three? All right, take six. And in most cases, then, what you're losing in interest probably isn't going to be that much that it's going to be as upsetting. Of course, when we don't get paid on our money, on our savings, then our money is actually decreasing in terms of its purchasing power because most things grow with inflation. The price grows with inflation. So it's very important that our, our money at least keep up with that. And of course, you have taxes that can be applied as well. But the bank has its role despite its low interest payments. Of course, every bank can be a little bit different. There's not going to be dramatic differences, but I think the use of an internet bank or something like that can be helpful. Um, everything else is going to have a potential downside that means when you need the money, if it's worth less than what you started, well, that's not the point of an emergency reserve. Or if it takes a week and a half to get the money, well, that's not the purpose of an emergency reserve. So... I'm not saying that we're the end of banks, but I think maybe the typical retail bank that that you're working with might be able to do better. I know I have. But also take a look at the amount that's sitting in cash. Don't let it get too large. Um, Because simply put, your money's shrinking in value. And um, cash is just, it tends to be worth less and less. Unlike other assets, cash is, is declining. Simply because you need to have real return for your money to purchase more over time. And... If we experience this 4% inflation, that means prices double in 18 years. So have some money in it. Just don't have an excessive amount to where your net
1: worth is actually shrinking in terms of its purchasing power. So I hope that helps, Hans. Yep, it's a good question. Thanks, Hans, for submitting that one. And if you want to submit a question again, you can do so by going to quizdan.com. Quizdan.com. Click on the Quiz Dan button. Let's squeeze in one here from Donnie in Westchester. Donnie says, I'm convinced that a market crash is coming any day now. I think a lot oh, of people have probably said that. Day now. Yeah, but but this is the funny thing. I've heard that statement before Dan uh, over the last mm-hmm. several months, even over the last couple of years. It's it's any yeah. day now. It's any day now. <laughs> We keep pushing it out. Uh, that's not to make fun of you, Donnie. It's just saying we've we've heard this before. Uh, but I've also thought, Donnie goes on, that for the last four years – oh, so he's – see, he's one of those. He's in that same boat. Uh, okay. I, I've been thinking that for the past four years, he says. So he's admitting the fact that he's said this before. I've yeah. missed out on a lot of growth because of that fear. What's your advice for a head case like <laughs> me? <laughs> Donnie, you're you're
2: not a head case. You're a human being, and as humans, we all have inside of us this survival mechanism. And the survival mechanism says, avoid pain whenever you can. Seek pleasure, but above all else, avoid pain. We all have it. You know, it's that um, uh, fear that leads to flight. Um, every animal has it in the animal kingdom. Uh, helps you to avoid predators. So when we lived in caves, that was very useful. Caveman was concerned about keeping his belly full, staying warm, and not getting eaten by predators, and as, or in maybe in other cases, other, other men. Um, that was it. In a civilized world, the survival mechanism can work against you. So if you think about caveman's diet, caveman didn't care about his cholesterol or his hypertension or anything like that. Caveman just wanted to keep his belly full. If there was a McDonald's down the street that would have given caveman all that he could eat, he would have just gone there. He wouldn't have even thought twice about it. But in a more advanced world, we understand that keeping the belly full, particularly keeping it full with the wrong things, can actually hurt us. It can actually shorten our life. The need for exercise, things like that. Exercise for many people is painful, or it's certainly not fun. I will definitely put myself in that camp. Um, having a um, Not having your belly full all the time is certainly... I don't know if it's painful, but it's certainly not fun. So we are naturally wired to avoid pain and it came, it's the same with our investments. If our investments um, go up too high, we, get worse. we worry that they're gonna go down. We want to be able to predict the future. And when they go down, we get panicky and to think they're gonna continue to go down so we have to do something. But logically we know that through the history of time, equity-based portfolios as a whole have grown, but they have not grown in a linear fashion. There's a series of bumps along the way in that upward slope. So before we begin the exercise, we logically accept the reality that we're not going to get this return in a consistent manner. But when we're living through this lack of consistency, it is invoking pain. And when you are invoked with pain, you are motivated to do something about it. In your brain, you are told, you better do something about it or it's only going to get worse. That's emotion speaking. That's not logic. Logic says, you know what? you know, we've gotten through worse and we'll probably get through this too. But emotion says, oh, no, 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 no. This time it's different. So you're not a head case because every one of us has this. And there's many parts of life where the survival mechanism is essential to your survival. But investing often is not one of those cases. Yeah, sometimes it is. But I've seen it time and time again where people know they're supposed to buy when prices are low and sell when they're high. But they do the complete opposite. And I've seen many cases where people just assume, because we've had some good news, that bad news has to be around the corner. All right, so let's, let's first understand how markets work. Markets react to news. News is unpredictable. So if markets react to news and news is unpredictable, then by default, markets are unpredictable. I think we can all see that. So you can listen to every talking head you want. The truth of the matter is that the market has already factored in the news of the day into the price. It's already there. It is only what we don't know that's going to move markets. Now, markets can only move in one dire- or two directions: up or down. So, if they've been moving up, 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 it doesn't take a rocket scientist to suggest at some point they might come down. But of course, we're not going to know when. If you've ever gone to a casino, and I don't recommend people go to casinos, but if you've been to one, just observe the roulette wheel. Let's go over there and watch it. And you're going to notice that it doesn't come up red, black, red, black, red, black. It, there's a, it, it's usually, there are many times where there's a streak. Like, wow, it's come up black the last five times. <laughs> now, some people will see that and they'll conclude, oh, it's going to have to come up black a sixth time because it's come up black the last five. And there's a number of people that are going to think the complete opposite. Well, because it came up black the last five, it's got to come up red this time. And the reality is neither is true. The likelihood of coming up red and black are both the same. It's just under 50%. And the reason I say it's just under is most people forget there's that one little green double zero on the roulette wheel, which actually is the house's way of putting the odds in their favor, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, Otherwise, it becomes a 50-50 proposition, and they can't win that way. So understand that this is the human nature of things. I would just suggest to everybody that, you need to think somewhat logically about the future. And if you're gonna think logically about the future, you have to be somewhat optimistic about the future. Just go back and read your history. Read about the decade of the 1940s. If we could survive that decade, Mm. couldn't we survive just about anything? And what will drive that? Well, what will drive that is the free market enterprise in which we operate in. Look, other than that goofball in North Korea, and um, whatever's whatever's left of Venezuela, and maybe a little bit of Cuba, there aren't too many people out there promoting the, the, the true hardened communist philosophy. They've all woken up to the reality that free market enterprise is the way to feed the world. That the motivation to make a profit has a lot of great side benefits for the world. And therefore, owning those companies who create the quality of life in which you live is a way to profit by that. Does it mean you're gonna get growth in a consistent manner? No. So make sure you only have in your portfolio a percentage that can withstand the volatility. The money that you need in the short run should not be in markets. But where the mistake gets made by people is not being in markets when they go down. It's being out of markets like you just described, Donnie, when they go up. I mean, had you been in it these last four years and then the market goes down 10%, you'd still be ahead. So you can see now how how you've been hurt by this. You should actually hope for a crash because then you'll finally be able to get back in where you could have gotten in four years ago. But I'm not hoping for a crash. So this is all human nature. We are predictably irrational beings. It's the way God made us. Now, a lot of good things come from emotion, love, generosity, empathy. But uh, very often fear can cloud our judgment. And you've been very open to that. The key to getting through that, in my opinion, is to have somebody who can coach you through it, who can help you see that it's not all doom and gloom, that sometimes it does take a little bit of pain to get better, like a physical therapist will show you. And therefore, it'll help you make it a little bit easier for you to trust the process. If you'd like to learn more, any of you like to learn more about what a wealth coaching program is all about, reach out to us. You can either give my office a call, 513-563-PLAN, that's 513-563-7526, or you can email me, dan at mattsonendkapril.com, and we'll be happy to share with you more information about what we do, how we do, and how we help people like Donnie get over this fear so that they're operating in a more logic-based approach that'll help them to have the kind of retirement they've always wanted. So again, 513-563-7526.
1: Or quizdan.com. Not only can you reach out and have kind of a one-on-one conversation about these kinds of things, but if you'd like to ask a question to be featured on a future podcast, you can do it there. Every once in a while, we dig into the mailbag and pick out some of the best questions. Again, that's at quizdan.com. Or call Dan at 513 563 plan coming up on the next solving the financial puzzle podcast we're going to talk a little bit more about the planning process itself recognizing the differences between an advisor who actually has a planning process and one who's just giving you a sales pitch all day long we'll identify the differences between those two things what a proper plan looks like and i think that'll be some really helpful information on the next solving the financial puzzle podcast for dan i'm walter and we'll look forward to talking to you then
0: Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit MatsonandCaprill.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle.